I also would like to welcome everyone. It's really a joy to see you all, have you all here, and share the teachings with you. I'll read first from Whispers from Eternity. I baptize myself in the waters of my, te- of my tears of love. Through long winding pathways of self-doubt, fording mighty rivers that separated thee from me, trudging over endless wastes of barren lives, tossing dangerously on the rapids of many ambitions, arduously climbing steep mountain trails of desire, and carefully extricating myself from whirlpools of alternating sadness and hilarity. At last, I have reached my journey's end. I look upon all these past travails with joy. Every struggle, every past agony has produced a flowing spring of joyous, grateful tears. In the sacred waters of those tears, I baptize myself daily with deep love for thee. I just happened upon that. I think I've seen it before, but it was very nice to think about. Um, You know, it's interesting, the topic. I've always really liked this phrase, that the law came by Moses, but truth and grace came by Jesus Christ. And yet, we don't really know what does truth and grace look like? What does that mean? And I was thinking just a little more about that and how that's uh, some examples. I wanted to read a little something from the Paramahansa Yogananda biography by Swami Kriyananda. But also I was just remembering when I was first coming on this path, first here, um, you know, the law is perfected in love, but it takes us a while to get there. We get the law, <laughs> that's really clear. And we can take it very seriously from our, our, the, the, the ability in the beginning that we have to understand it. And so the laws seem absolute. Thou shalt not, you know, whatever. And, uh, and even in yoga, <clears throat> we have the very first uh, Yama, the controls of yoga, given to us by Patanjali, is ahimsa. It means harmlessness, nonviolence. And we can really take these things very seriously. (laughs) So without understanding how to apply those in a world of duality, a world of relativity, what does that look like? And I remember when I first came here, and I think I had already moved here, but uh, there was a situation in my life and I thought, it's gotta be about Dharma. From now on, it's all about Dharma, right action, you know. So um, I went with Swami, uh, to Swami Kriyananda with a friend and I said, this is the situation and we had just arrived and I, I think I probably need to leave and, and do this Dharma out in the world. And he just looked at me and he said, Oh, don't even think about that. That that dharma, that's going to go away. It's not going to be any problem. To me, it was serious. You know, I, I had taken it as, whoa, I really need to come up to this. But he just he just brushed it off because he saw the greater reality 
and that was my life just now making the biggest decision of many lifetimes to come on to the spiritual path. Anything else was really lesser. And it will work out, you know, one way or the other. So that was an interesting time. And you know, Swami Kriyananda was speaking from a higher, higher level of consciousness than I had at that time. And uh, it doesn't always land in a good way with people. You know, I mean, you know, you're taking your life pretty seriously and now you've made the commitment finally and, you know, wow, I've finally come and I'm, I'm willing to give up everything, you know, and even coming here, you know, and, and that wasn't right at all. And so it's just, um, it's an interesting thing because he was looking at it from a broader perspective, a higher level of consciousness, but also how do you apply Dharma in the context of relativity and duality. What's really true? What's really right? What's dharmic to do? And so um, I wanted to um, also read something. Actually, I'm not quite sure. Maybe I'll say this first. Um, you know, because it, it came to me just in the last day or so, I was remembering also, so that was an experience of mine personally, but I was remembering also in the Mahabharata, the great scripture of the great battle of Kurukshetra, forces of darkness and light fighting each other, and Arjuna chooses Krishna over all of Krishna's armies. Duryodhana, the material desire, chooses, it's great, I get all the armies, wow. <laughs> you know, but, but Krishna becomes the charioteer for Arjuna. And, uh, and he, but he won't fight. He just drives the chariot. But driving the chariot's pretty important in a war. <laughs> so anyway, at a certain point in the battle, and I do not remember the name of the specific characters. I can kind of guess at it, but I won't say that. Um, Krishna says, he turns to Arjuna and he says, this, this warrior here, he's decimating. And he's a, uh, on the for materialism and darkness, dual, you know, delusion. And he said, this warrior, he needs to be slain by you, and you need to hit him below the waist. And that was like, oh, no, a warrior of that caliber, you know, a warrior would never hit anybody below the waist. It's not done. And our, Krishna says, no, you need to do this. And so Arjuna had, and he did it. And it saved the battle. It was not going well. <laughs> but it was interesting because it was a moment in time for Arjuna to have faith in the guru. Krishna was the guru. And Krishna could see a bigger perspective here. He could see that the forces of light needed to prevail in this moment in time, in this very large battle, and that Arjuna had to trust Krishna. He had to go with that. And he did, and then the battle was won. Every, pretty much everybody was killed in the battle. <laughs> the Pandavas went off to the Himalayas and left their bodies and all of that. But the battle was won toward the, the forces of light. And so I just thought of that, and I thought to mention it because, you know, we need to just be careful you know, we get so caught 
in our ego and, and we're, I'm right and I know what's right and I'm meditating, I do Kriya Yoga and all of that. But you know, the guru and his perspective, Swami Kriyananda as a spiritual teacher, his perspective, higher than mine. And so we need to also develop trust in a higher reality. And that's, I love the, the reading and uh, of, you know, give me thy heart. When we happen to be, Pranava and I, we happen to be in India in 2005, right when Swami Kriyananda, we, we had planned it months before, we had no idea what was going to happen at that time, but we landed in the last two weeks of him finishing the essence of the Bhagavad Gita. He was in bliss. He was living in Gurgaon in his house there, Guru Kripa. And so we would go every morning of those two weeks and read the, the pages, the stacks of the, the, uh, what he was uh, writing were all on the table in his living room. And so we'd go and read. But one morning he came down and he was, he was in another state. It was, he said it was like Yogananda was living in the house with him. And everybody felt that. But he came down and he said, I just reached the part where Krishna says, give me thy heart. And I, it was so wonderful. He was in such a high state and blissful. But, you know, it's like, that's, it's not always easy to do. I mean, you know, we have to enter into this battle of Kurukshetra inwardly. And we have to do, be it in the way that we can understand it. But we also have to develop trust in the guru and in a higher consciousness. And so I wanted, this was a, I was just looking at the idea of grace and truth. And I thought, so how do you know truth? We've got the yamas and niyamas. And here we are looking at ahimsa as harmlessness. And Yogananda when he went back to India, I just picked up the biography of Paramahansa Yogananda and went to the chapter where he returns to India. And uh, when he was in India, Yogananda, and he would ask questions uh, so that we would get the understanding. He knew <laughs> what the answers were. But this was his um, contact with Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, uh, the two, let's see, on, so Swami Kriyananda is speaking here. On Master's way to Calcutta from Bombay, he had stopped in Warta to visit Mahatma Gandhi. The two of them had interesting discussions on ahimsa and harmlessness. Gandhi's attitude was absolute. It was indeed his absoluteness that enabled him to prevail against India's British rulers. But my guru commented to me, he had, had he tried using ahimsa against the Russians, it would not have worked. His method was successful in the present instance because the British are gentlemen. If one tried practicing ahimsa on a tiger, unless one had spiritual power, he'd only end up in the carnivore's stomach. So this is what... <clears throat> what um, Yogananda said to Gandhi, I asked him, Gandhi, what if a madman came to your village and started shooting everyone on sight? How would you handle that predicament? 
I'd let him shoot me first, was Gandhi's reply. Well, I let him have that, Yogananda speaks now, well, I let him have that last word, but in fact, that sacrifice would have solved nothing had the madman gone on to shoot everyone else in the village too. Ahimsa, like everything else in this relative world, is only a relative truth. One must practice it mentally, and this is the important part, one must practice it mentally, but it isn't always possible to practice it literally. It may be the better part of valor to shoot the tiger if one can, and even to shoot that one madman rather than let him kill hundreds. So I'm sure there's a lot of people which would have a lot of things to say about that in reply, but I just want to say this. This is not only our guru speaking, but an avatar. So we're talking about a level of truth that Yogananda coming, bringing that down into relativity, said, yes, it would be better to, to shoot the madman if you could do it without anger, without hatred, without feeling harm. I want to harm him. But just doing it as a, as a course of what needed to happen. So anyway, these are the, the subtleties that each of us needs to grapple with in our own lives and to understand that there are subtleties. It's not absolute. And so we have to understand. And in this time, I think the word common sense comes to mind, you know, the phrase common sense. But it's that ability to apply an absolute truth in relativity. How, how does it work? And that's why they say the law is perfected in love, because that has to come into play. So um, I was also remembering in this biography, uh, reading further, there were several instances of Swami Kriyananda's life where he was with Yogananda out at 29 Palms sometimes, and there were things that happened where uh, uh, he was having to deal with things like this. So there is the, the ahimsa part, but then Yogananda also said to him, so they're just out there, Yogananda's working on his writings, and Swami Kriyananda was in solitude for quite a while, number of months, and then was helping Yogananda. But Yogananda said to him, oh, and by the way, um, if you see a rattlesnake around any of the residences, kill it, because human life is the highest expression of God in this world, and we don't want rattlesnakes biting someone and them dying. And so Kriyananda remembered that, and, and probably a day or so later, he saw a snake at the monk's retreat, and he thought, oh, wow, I'm going to have to kill this snake. So he killed it, felt really bad about it. And then he told, he saw Yogananda, and he said, Master, you know, I killed this snake. And Yogananda didn't say anything. And then he said, you know, the women disciples are so ignorant that they didn't know that it was a garter snake that they had by their house. And then he just looked at Kriyananda. 
And Swami felt really, really bad. And Yogananda immediately said to him, do not, do not feel badly. This is not something you need to feel badly about. And then he went on to, um, and this is interesting, but it's in the book, so I'm going to say it. He, he went on uh, and he had Kriyananda go in uh, to the house, boil a whole pot of water, and then had him come out and pour it on an ant's nest, killing all the ants that were there. And he, Swami said, he said, I felt like what Yogananda was doing for me was he was trying, not trying to, but he was erasing self, um, what is it, self-blame, <laughs> self-blame that I took on because I killed the wrong snake. He was erasing that from my consciousness because he said, the feelings of self-blame in your life can really sink you <laughs> as you go along. Everybody makes mistakes. And so you have to keep moving in the right way without taking that baggage along with you. It happened. And in fact, one of the most useful things that Swami Kriyananda ever said that I remember was he said, when you do something wrong, just say, acknowledge it, see it for what it is, and say it happened, and then move on. Make it right or, you know, do that. But don't dwell on the thing that is negative, self-blame, you know, because it will just pull you down. And many instances, he says in this, Swami says in this autobiography, he said, those self-blames, they add up. If you get in that habit of self-blame, then that, you carry that with you, and it's really a block to spiritual growth. So anyway, just interesting. I thought, wow, interesting, interesting ways that we need to just be aware. Now that was, again, coming from his guru, that boiling water into the ant nest. It's like, whoa, really? Um, but but it, there was a purpose for it. So I think what I was feeling is that we just need to be prepared in our own lives to understand things from the highest level we're capable of. And don't just come at it from, well, this is what should be. Try to really raise your consciousness and understand it and ask for Yogananda's guidance. Ask for that to come in. You know, in the beginning here, before the service, we have the purification ceremony. And the phrase there is, someone comes up, they say, I seek, I want, I seek purification by the grace of God. And then we say, a minister says, the master says, open your heart to me and I will enter and take charge of your life. And so that's what Yogananda was doing with Kriyananda, but also with any of the other disciples that were there that asked him for that. It's not something that's imposed on us. It's something that we say, you know, what I'm, the way I'm living right now, it isn't working well, and I really do want to open my heart more. may have already done something, but open my heart more, and the Master will come in and take charge of your life as much as we open to it and want that. 
but we have to be prepared for what that means. So, you know, you may find yourself in different kinds of situations. And then the other, um, the other uh, experience that Kriyananda had with Yogananda was, again, at that desert retreat at that time. And it's when, remember, he was editing, and he would find that Yogananda would, he'd say one thing, and then he'd say, this is how it is. And then a few sentences later, he'd say, and this also is how it is. And, he, and you know, being an editor, it's like he said, it can't be two things, you know, come on. It's, what is it, Aristotle? Anyway, it's either or. And, uh, and so anyway, then he said years, and he, and he said, the way I resolved <clears throat> that particular doubt was by love because I said, I knew I loved Yogananda. He was my guru, and I could feel trust for him and love for him, and that's how it, how it resolved. So anyway, interesting, but the other interesting thing is that years later, when Swami Kriyananda did understand why Yogananda would say it two different ways, that was nothing compared to the tradition in India, um, he told the story of Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya, great saint in medieval India, and it's the Hare Krishna. You know, he was he was ec- in ecstasy chanting, and as he went around, he would gather people, and they would all be in ecstasy chanting. Well, but Chaitanya, in his earlier life before that, had been a professor of logic, <laughs> so he also understood the mind. And so he was still very much aware of that, uh, but, but knowing that the heart was really uh, the way to find God and, and that heart needed to be activated and opened. And so he went to chanting. Well, he at one point, he was living in northern India and he moved down to Puri. So Puri is one of the big centers, Jagannath Temple, ancient, all of that. And uh, he was living there, and he was starting to gather people because his magnetism around chanting was incredible. Everybody would be in bliss. There was a scholar living there, Sarva Balma. And Sarva Balma was very well known. He was a very intellectual, but Advaita, I think, you know, very much that. No, not heart, but knowledge, intellect, jnana. And so Sarvabhama, his comment about Chaitanya was, he saw this young man wasting his life in chanting. You know, he couldn't understand why. He seemed like a nice young guy, you know, but he was wasting his life doing just chanting. And so Sarvabhama met him, and he said to Chaitanya, he said, you know, I could, uh, I could help you if you like. You know, would, I, would you like me to do that? And, Chaitanya said, oh, sure, why not? Yeah, and so not knowing who Chaitanya was before, and so what, what Swami Kriyananda said was the way that they did this in those, those days was they would take a, a set of a, a scriptural reading and see how many different meanings they could get out of that one scriptural reading. And it was a contest. A lot of them had contests, you know, seeing. So Sarvabhama got 25 meanings out of this one scriptural reading. 
And people were like, wow, I mean, that is a lot of readings. And Chaitanya very innocently just said, well, let me see if I can get a few more. He got 80 more. <laughs> so anyway, at that point, Sarvabhama thought, oh my God, I see who you really are. So <laughs> he, he, became his, he became Chaitanya's disciple. But it's just interesting with the mind and how it works and how we need to be aware of the subtleties. I think the thing that struck me most was how we have the guidelines, law, rules, the yamas and niyamas. Yoga, by the way, is so, every time I read our teachings more, revisit them, it's like they're so wonderful. They're really, really helpful, right on, and wonderful guidance. But we have all of that, but then we have to know how to apply each of those things in our own lives. And as Yogananda said, in a world of duality, a world of perspectives that are changing. And the thing that struck me in that is that he said, you must practice ahimsa all the time, mentally, mentally. And I thought, yes, for all of the yamas and niyamas, we have to practice them mentally. And then when something comes up, we're somewhat in motion and we're able to apply it more easily because we've understood it from within. What does it feel like, harmlessness? I thought, you know, that's something that you don't need to wait for the madman with the gun. You can just do it now with the spider in the corner, you know? And, uh, and just, just uh, you know, things where you want to really have your life be more in tune with that idea of harmlessness. And so Master also said, he said, uh, soldiers on the battlefield, if they're fighting for, so- for something that's dharmic, that's right, and they keep that in mind, if they kill other people, it, it's all right. It's not the heavy karma of just going out and shooting someone. And so, again, I say these things, we're in a time of incredible <laughs> kind of upheaval and violence in the world, but, but just keep it in mind that we need to actively uh, understand how to deal with these things and to know and to use the fact, what does it mean that the law is perfected in love? Not just, it's just, well, it's just about love. No, it's just about the law. No, the law is perfected in love. The law gives us a guideline, and then we need to apply that in a way that has love at its, at its center, and that we can expand from that. So anyway, joy to all of you. Hello there, Brother Bluebells, may be a tune today. The breezes on the meadow have made you look so gay. The meadow larks are singing, joy's in the air. Come set your bells a-ringing, your gladness to share. Hello there, Sister Dewdrop. Finger a little while, the colors in the sunlight would make a monarch smile. What need have I for treasures, diamonds or gold? The 
Love. 